Barry, I'm thinking about you heading back to Nashville or getting on the road again. I'll bet a time or two people said, you know, Barry, you're living the good life. They're looking at Allison and Barry and saying, damn, I just wish I could be living on a farm and doing those things and get outside and when things are, are wearing me down, go climb on a tractor. I have people text me about that pretty rare. I had one guy that I know from the music world texted me yesterday asking about how farming and touring works for me. He's wanting to buy some land, get into it. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's something on people's minds for sure. Legitimate handful of, of name touring acts out there that it's in their contract that, you know, after sound check before the show, when everybody comes to catering to eat supper, all the meat has to be locally sourced. Farm to Table Talk gets to talk to some interesting families around the world. And uh, we've got one today. I'm really happy to welcome the Bales family, Barry and Allison. Uh, welcome to Farm to Table Talk. Thanks, Roger. Thanks for having us. Glad to be well, here. Well, you know what? I'm I'm really looking forward to chatting with you folks today because we're going to have you back up and tell a little bit of the story. But you're you're an interesting family. It includes your son and your dog, too, I could tell from the website. And I would do this in, in backwards order. The dog people can probably figure out the dog's responsibilities as we start into this. But I, I love that, that your son is called a CEO. Uh, you know, I've been a CEO a couple, three times. I love his title better. Explain that, would you? Your son being the CEO. Yes, our son, Marshall, he's 14 years or just turned 15. And uh, he's the uh, he's our CEO, uh, the chief of egg operations. He runs the uh, pastured layer operation single-handedly and uh, has for a number of years. He's he's. Uh, had as many as 400 laying hens under his care, and uh, he's he's really taken to it and done a great job. And and you know he drive takes the tractor and goes down, moves the egg mobile every day, feeds, waters, gathers eggs, washes eggs, packs eggs, and uh, has uh, kind of got a got his own little cottage industry off of Bales Farms going there for himself. But uh, he's oh, he's quite a quite a guy. What a great story right there. Now, let's just broaden it to his parents, because you, you've got an ambitious son doing these things because he's got parents that, for one thing, live on a farm. How do you end up there? Because I, I noticed that uh, your family's evidently been involved in farming for over 100 years. Well, uh, I'll give you my side of the story and let Allison uh, bring up her part of it. I, Yeah, this farm has been in my family uh, since 1882, Marshall is the sixth generation here. And uh, my mom, who, as the lineage goes, um, she grew up and moved away and about an hour away. And that's where I was born and raised. But my grandparents still had the farm, lived here and farmed, raised cattle. And uh, I spent every spare minute I had with them uh, up until I left for college. You know, they would... Typically, any given summer, they would be sitting outside of school waiting the day it let out for the summer, and I would 
come down here and stay with them until the day before it went back in the fall and most weekends, most holidays. And so at least half of my life was spent here on the farm. And I feel like this is really where I, you know, I I was not necessarily 100% raised here, but I definitely say um, I grew up here for sure. And uh, went off to college and uh, my dad was a, a, casual musician and I, I kind of got bit by the bug through him and that just sort of snowballed and and uh, part of the way through my college career uh, I had been playing in local bands and regional bands and got a call to go on the road full-time professional with uh, a girl named Allison Krauss and jumped at the chance and that was almost 32 years ago still 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 part of that band, but obviously these days our schedule is a little more manageable. And I lived in Nashville for a couple of years in the early nineties and it just never felt like home. I missed the farm. I missed the mountains. And so I moved back here and just lived here and kind of managed this farm as a hunting property for a few years. Then fast forward to when Marshall came along, um, I always wanted him to have a feel for what I had growing up, the kind of life that I had. And I especially wanted him to have a work ethic, to have chores, to learn responsibility, to learn where his food comes from. And so we started getting a few animals, uh, a few laying chickens, a couple of pigs, a couple of cows. And there again, it just kind of snowballed from there. And here we are 10 plus years later, um, in some respects, depending on the day, uh, full-time farmers. Yeah. Hey, you know, it sounds like you're more than full-time farmers right now. And then we're going back into how that connects with music world. But now we're going to get back to Allison because Allison, we kind of skipped over there. We went, we went from Barry's childhood to you guys having a child. Now you got to fill in the gap here because what, what's your, uh, background, uh, pre-Barry and, and, uh, and, and this, this journey you're on. Well, Barry and I grew up not knowing each other, but in the same small town in East Tennessee. And our parents actually knew each other. And then Barry went to college with the guy that's my brother-in-law that married my sister. So they were all friends. Um, I went to college at UTC, University of Tennessee at Chattanooga, and went to physical therapy school. And um, I had graduated from college and came back for my job. And called a mutual friend and he set us up on a blind date. It was the first blind date for both of us. And um, Barry convinced me after a couple of years of dating to move down here to the big metropolis that is Mossheim, Tennessee. And so um, we lived here for um, several years, me working full time as a physical therapist, Barry working full time as a musician and um did not have any animals besides pets. And then, as he said, after we had Marshall, we started hearing the call of returning to the land. And and I felt very strong and, and he did too, independently. And then we came together to talk about it, about um, being better stewards of what we've been blessed with. You know, this land, the time here, time together and knowledge of how 
to do things. And so we really felt the calling to um, to jump into agriculture and and do it uh, in a way that we felt was um, was respectful and caring uh, to the animals and the land and the people around us. And so here we are. Boy, I tell you what, I'm resisting the temptation, Allison, to have you give me some more advice on stretching for an L5 that I've got. But uh, <laughs> I'm I'm a believer in physical therapy, and 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 Barry has a big chunk of his life's been on the road. I'll bet he's need, needed some physical therapy for a while too, because you can't climb in those planes and in and out and be traveling without getting a little racked up. Oh, I know about all the L's for sure. <laughs> well, one other thing you knew about, I noticed on the website, was that uh, when you have that kind of hectic life that can, I would imagine it can be when you're you're touring with the, the bands you played with and, and, and the whole life of a musician, um, that you found it uh, a way to recover to get back and spend some time on a tractor seat. Absolutely. Absolutely. When I, when I, you know, it's, it's, um, and that's, that's the one major downside to years and years of touring is the travel, you know, the, the, the physical being away from home, the physical getting from one place to the other and being going from an airport to a van, to a hotel room, to a backstage, and then all over again. And being the the type of personality that I am and having the the likes that I do, um, that was always the thing, even before I got into farming, even if I was just running a bush hog, kind of keeping the place in check before we started doing this heavy, uh, you know, there was nothing better than coming home on a, on a beautiful spring day in East Tennessee and getting on the tractor and just doing my thing and just being able to check out and, and put all that, behind me and 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 do a lot of really good thinking and 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 mind clearing yes like you said for sure well uh, that makes me wonder about these last several years which we hope are going to prove to be extraordinary uh that we've people haven't been out as much i mean through the whole pandemic and shutdown and i would imagine uh that almost forced less time on the road did you get better acquainted with your farm in that in that time barry I, I, I sure did. Um, and you're right. The music business uh, for everybody, pretty much across the board for me, for sure, basically evaporated overnight. Uh, we were supposed to do a tour. We had a three month tour booked uh, April, May and June of 2020. And that, of course, got canceled. And not only did that get canceled, but immediately the grocery store shelves went bare and our phone started ringing off the hook. Our internet orders started. We, we wouldn't, you know, as fast as we could walk to the printer to get an invoice and walk back to the computer, we'd have more orders. And we were, there was a time there where, so there was, there was no real ability to take a breath and transition or to think about it. It was just, okay, music business is over. Farming is full time and beyond get at it. Yeah. Well, and in in that time, have you found now it's been easing up a little bit, people getting a, a little back to whatever normal was, if they if they remember that. Are you keeping those customers, the people that discovered you that were depending on getting all their meat at supermarkets and and 
and started finding out how they could go direct to folks like you. Uh, are are you holding on to them? Uh, we have we have we have not retained uh, a, a pretty good percentage of them, and and from what I have read and seen and the people that i've talked to like us that's pretty universal is is a lot of people panicked and just took whatever lifeline they could and then now as you said the things are kind of sort of starting to get back to normal they've gone back to their normal routine we have we have retained some some of them and the ones that we've retained are are great customers. They're they're true believers, and they support us greatly, and we appreciate them. But but yeah, I think across the board, the big push, uh, you know, the big waves of new people has receded and gone back to the to the way it was. How about restaurants? Have you got any direct uh, any restaurant business that's getting your supplies? Yes, it was interesting because. In February of 2020, when I go back and do our numbers, <clears throat> excuse me, it was about 80% restaurants, 20% direct to consumer. Um, and then, you know, that shut down quickly. And within the same week that the restaurants shut down, the grocery stores, for us, Marshall, um, we have some products in grocery stores, mostly Marshall's eggs. But um, immediately we went to full on grocery store, full on, as Barry was saying, direct um, direct to the customer. Um, and there was no downtime. Now um, our situation has changed a little bit and now we have picked up some customers and um, now we're doing about 90% direct to our customers and maybe 10% restaurants and grocery stores. But um, the restaurants are coming back. Um, and as they return, we are seeing an increase in, in their uh, desire to have our eggs and our, our meats, for sure. But, you know, one thing I wonder about with these, um, as you're developing these products, mostly you have to be frozen, don't you? Is it, it is um, so and and some people um, are just not used to frozen. Um, and, I, and I'm and i thinking about that, too, because, I mean, there was a time where people always have big freezers and now mostly they got a, like a smaller freezer that's part of the refrigerator and getting into thawing things and planning meals and so forth. And Allison, this gets into another service you provided because you've written a cookbook and yeah. you've got uh, so people are are um, are. I guess exploring the whole world of what they can get for the price to raise products you have. Um, you give them ideas. You can show them some things that uh, I was scanning some of the things you have in your cookbook. It looks really good. I'd uh, I wish you could come. We could come over for dinner sometime. Sure, come on. We're here. Uh, yeah, I do. I show people. We have a lot of questions. Probably the most common question I get is. What do I do with whole chicken? Because people do not prepare food that way anymore. Um, our grandmothers always did that, but 
uh, in this day and time, people aren't too familiar with that. And so in the cookbook, we have multiple ways to prepare a whole chicken. And it goes from the easiest, which is put it in a Ziploc bag with some salt and buttermilk and let it sit in the refrigerator and then throw it in the oven to roast it for an hour to spatchcocking chicken and um, doing uh, beer can chicken or, um, and we've got different recipes for the canned chicken, meaning putting the chicken on the can, not buying the chicken in the can, but um, beer can chicken. And you can, you know, they've got wine now in cans and you can do uh, a wine can chicken. And uh, so, yeah, we, we walk people through the process of taking um, cuts of meat that, uh, you know, maybe some different roasts and different ways to prepare roasts and just those uh, pieces of meat that you may not be um, as familiar with if you're used to getting your uh, your meat in the little uh, containers at the grocery store with the little white plastic trays mm, that, yeah. that deboned and you know skinless, boneless cuts of meat. You know, they do need to figure out how they're how they're going to use the product, but. But they also, um, I suppose, are curious exactly how you take care of them and, and really kind of what's the difference between grass-fed or not, pasture-raised and not, and so forth. Um, uh, there was a time where when, when we started hearing about, uh, about farmers' markets and so forth, that people kind of imagined, well, that's something that happens in Greenwich Village and Berkeley, you know. And and not no offense, but not necessarily Eastern Tennessee or a whole broad area of, of the middle of the country. Um, and I suspect you're apparently finding out that that that's not the case because you're having customers that are interested in exactly how you're producing and making making things available to them. I have a question in there somewhere. I mean, you guys might have to help me sort that out because it it's it's because it is kind of changing. I mean, you're you're offering people something that they're interested in right now. And I'm, I'm wondering how you ob- observe that demand and that phenomenon and that uh, that change in, in interest in in uh, production systems that maybe uh, maybe your great grandpa did in, to a certain extent. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, we raise grass, every, everything we raise is on pasture, uh, pigs, chickens, uh, cattle are grass fed, grass finished. And that's the way it's not because they thought of it as a niche, uh, production market. Uh, but that's just the way it's always been done here. You know, that just seemed like, well, yeah, that's what you do. You, that's where the animals go is out on pasture. But to your point, um, you know, it is, I've observed that it's, you know, it's, it's slower. It's a slower takeoff here where we live. Our County green County is the uh, largest geographical County in the state of Tennessee. It's very rural. It's the number one beef cattle producing County in the state. And um, so, you know, there is a portion of that to where a lot of our potential customers uh, geographically probably raise cattle themselves. But there are people like people that live in town or or whatever that are definitely becoming more aware and more interested to know these kinds of things, to know where their food comes from, to to go beyond 
just going to the grocery store and grabbing something and bringing it home and just saying, oh, it's a steak, you know, a steak's a steak. And, you know, uh, in general, but also another result of the pandemic is, of course, we're not the only place, but we're seeing a huge influx of people from moving in here from, from various parts of the country. Uh, within the last six months, we've probably had six, six families within three miles of us move here from California. So there, there is a, a growing uh, interest in what we do and, and that kind of thing through various reasons. A lot of it, uh, the most immediate is the influx of new uh, people moving in here to live. But I think, I think people in general, the, the farmer's market movement and just not that it's not that it's a new thing, but you know, with, with, with the internet, people are more able to find out about things like this. Whereas they 10 years ago, they didn't, didn't have as much information right at their fingertips as they do now. I have always thought whether it's in healthcare, whether it's in farming, that education is the key. And so when I was, when I, when I would have a patient come in the clinic, I would say to them, my job is to teach you about your body, about your joint, about your L4, L5 disc that's bothering you. And so the next time that it bothers you, you don't need to call me again. You know what to do for your body to heal your body. I feel the same way with food and with agriculture. And so a lot of my time, a majority of my time that I am dealing with farm related things, whatever that is, uh, I am dealing, I'm talking to customers and I'm teaching them about what we do. We're incredibly transparent. We try to be 100% transparent. I tell customers all the time, I'll ask anything that, or I'll answer anything that you ask, anything that you want to know ask me and I'll do my very best to answer it. I may not know all the answers, but um, I'll, I'll do my very best. And so when people come to us and then they start talking with us and and we build that relationship, um, we, we are seeing, you know, more and more uh, return customers, but also they're very interested in, what we do, how we do it, why we do it, what it looks like, you know, what they, they will ask, uh, Barry's really passionate about, uh, rotational grazing, regenerative agriculture. And, um, so they want to know, well, what even, what does that mean? I mean, you know, if your job is, um, say your job, say you work at the bank or, you know, you're an engineer, you don't know. And why would you know what regenerative agriculture is? And so that's where Barry comes in and explains what it is, what it means for the land, what it means for the animals, why we do it, how we do it. And um, when people start understanding that, they start, you know, they start seeing, oh, there's a huge difference, both both for the land, for the animal, and for myself as the consumer of that. If that answered your question. Oh, no, it sure does. It sure does. And it, it, 
it makes me want to see your place again, too. You've got some pictures on your website, but I'm wondering, uh, like around you, do you have more commodity style agriculture that are people that are, you know, cornfields and soybeans like we do in some other areas? Is it pretty much pasture land? It's it's the vast majority of it is is pasture land. We're in the in the foothills of the Smoky Mountains. And so it's gent gently rolling. Um, there's, there's some big, um, uh, commodity farms down in the, in the river bottoms. A lot of tomatoes are grown down there, but, but by and large, 90% of it is black Angus cattle and hardly anybody. I mean, we're kind of a little Island here. It's there, it's, but there's a few of us around, but, but for the most part, we're a little Island of different thinking in a sea of, uh, black cows grazing on fescue that's you know grazed down to about a half inch tall and then finished on grain usually. yeah yeah so you're moving your cattle uh so you're doing the rotational kind of grazing so and you're you know i that makes me wonder too if you could have gone back to 19 what was it 1880 something and had a, a core of soil taken then and take it now um I'm I'm guessing it's just as good or better than it would have been 130 years ago, 150 years ago now, or 140 well, some years ago. I'd love to be able to do that myself, and I I, I would hope that uh, that it's at, at least as good, if not better. You know, that to me is is one of the, Alice was talking about explaining and educating people. Uh, you know, there's, there's, you hear some people talk about sustainable agriculture and you hear some people talk about regenerative agriculture. And that's a, what you just mentioned is a, to me, a great example of the difference. If this, if that soil sample was exactly the same as it was in 1882, then we'd be practicing sustainable agriculture. It's not getting any worse, but if it was better, we'd be practicing regenerative agriculture. And that's my hope is that we're constantly making it better than it was when we got it and and than it was last year, so on and so forth. So I imagine now spring's approaching, you can go out and stick a spade in the ground and see earthworms and and uh, all those other signs of of a of a rich soil that you're you're making it healthier. Yes, it's it's definitely that time it's one of my favorite times of the year uh in this part of the country. Everything's starting to green up and uh you're seeing you know, the cover crops are really taking off and you're seeing that life start to come back. And, and uh, yeah, I'm anxious to anxious to see what uh, see what this spring brings us. Hey, talk about the pigs a little bit, because I, 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 I get it with um, cattle grazing and um, you're mostly Angus, although you had a little Charlay got into your picture and one of your online. But you you mostly, uh, and I also understand uh, what your CEO is doing with the egg operation, too. Uh, and I think people do that. But it's a little trickier to explain, um, you know, what pigs are doing out on on, on open ground. Um, tell me a little bit about uh what kind of what breed of hogs are you using, and are you uh, are you farrowing your own pigs, and are you uh, are they out on you know little a frames or something like that, or are they in a, in a hog house to be to be farrowed? How does that go? Well, for the time we're, I've gone back and forth and thought about taking that plunge, but but we're for the time being, I'll, I buy weaned pigs mm -hmm. locally. Uh, 
you know, the, it, it changes depending on what's available. I, I tried to find for the last, uh, oh, I don't know, five or six years, uh, mostly raised large blacks. And uh, they are, you know, for people that don't know, and, and we didn't have pigs when I was growing up, we just had had uh, beef cattle and horses. And, and so I didn't know, but for anybody that's not aware, you know, uh, given the opportunity, a pig will graze grass just like a a cow will and so depending on the on the time of year we usually do uh a, what i call a spring spring batch and a fall batch so the the uh when in the winter time the fall in the winter time we'll move them uh as a way to sort of rest our pasture we'll move them into the woods and uh let them stay in there and of course there's acorns to eat and, and lots of rooting around in the leaves to do, but in the spring, spring and summer, we move them out to pasture and, uh, you know, the, the difference is I, I move my cattle every day. I move, you know, make a small enough paddock to where I, they just have one day's worth of, of grazing with pigs. It's a little trickier in that I give them a little I give them more area, but with pigs, you know, there's, they can be so potentially destructive, quote unquote, you have to move them a lot faster than you do the cattle relative to where they are and the size of, uh, size of the area that they have. You know, it's most people think of a pig sty when they think of pigs, uh, you know, pigs that aren't raised in a barn, but they're, I, I, I love pigs, you know, they're, I like them better than cattle. You know, a lot of times I'll go down there in the evenings and take a bucket and sit on it and just, they come up to you like, like, uh, dogs and just rub on you and want to be petted. And, and, uh, they're great to me. They're a great addition to this whole, to, they're another piece of the puzzle in, in the grazing thing. You know, you always want to take care of your land, but their their hoof action on the land and of course their manure and uh, uh you, you it's just a challenge to figure out what the acceptable amount of rooting around and 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 all that that they do is um basically if you just keep it somewhere um in between undisturbed and you don't want it to look like a, a moonscape you know that's that's a real problem with a lot of people that raises pigs is they just put them in an area and they stay there and it you know there's not a blade of grass within 100 miles seems like seems to me barry you better keep some of those gilts and go buy yourself a boar and and uh, and raise those pigs three months three weeks and three days and you get some you get a litter of pigs and and uh, that that just complete the circle since you're already kind of fond of the, of the hogs anyway. Yeah, we've, I've almost pulled the trigger on that a couple of times and it's just been trying to, I'm bad about And well, you know, there's, there'll, there'll come a time where that, that will be obvious, but you know, sometimes you just got to do it. Well, and you know what, it, it is some more work. So, and you, you've got plenty of that. Let, let's talk about one more, one more step. Because between getting frozen meat that you can market online and, and direct to anybody that wants to, you got to get them slaughtered somewhere. How do you how do you deal with that? That's usually the problem area for most people that I know that are doing pasture raise operations is find a place to process their livestock. 
that that's the the million dollar problem um we had for for example the things that i'm sure most of your listeners are probably aware of all this but uh, an example that happened to us we had last year we had some dates at uh, our processing facility that we use usually here in the region and they couldn't get us in we needed another date and they couldn't get us in so we booked with with uh, another place that we had never used before but a lot of the other area farmers use them they've been been around a long time so and and this was last fall so we're still in the we're still feeling the pandemic we're still seeing and hearing people talking about processors being booked up through 2025 all that so we're one, we're one week away from taking in 5,000 pound steers and they call Allison and say, all of our employees just walked out and quit and we're closing. Good luck to you. Oh, man. So that's, that's one thing that we're up against. We actually just talked to our, um, thankfully the processes that we use most of the time, everybody else has just kept answering the phone saying, yep, yep, yep. I got you. Uh, yeah, that'll be August 15th of 2025. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the processor that we have been using, they just opened up their books on Monday to, for people to start calling and, and putting in requests for dates for this June through December. Mm-hmm. So we were able to have some dates for cattle and some dates for hogs. So thankfully that's worked out for us okay but yes it is a a a terrible problem and you know there's a the next county over it's been in the news the last few weeks there's a a, um what's the word i'm looking for um there's a a group uh cooperative a group of people trying to come together and build a new and the uh neighbors wherever they decide they're trying to go the neighbors raise a fuss and get it voted down so they go and try to find a place and so that's and again still in a very rural county and it's just frustrating because you know a lot of these folks move out to the country and they want to stand on their back deck grilling a steak looking out over the farmland but then when it comes time to put in a processing facility they complain about it yeah, yeah. Well, at least now there's some some government funds available that are going to be grants and uh, available across the country, I believe, to help get startups going. So and provide some training and provide some funding too to get these local processing plants up and running. Yeah, we've had two of those uh, open up here in our county as a result of that money. Um, they're just they're still waiting on their. Um, they're, they're, they don't have their inspection yet. They're still working with USDA to get inspected. They can do custom slaughter now, but hopefully sometime this year, uh, they'll get all that paperwork processed and, and that'll open up a lot more avenues. You know, it's it's such an interesting stage we're in right now. Allison, I'm still thinking back to when you were talking about uh, riding your writing the cookbook and everything and explaining to people the the difference and telling them how they can work with the product and so forth. And, and, and it, it, it sounded like when you were explaining that, that this is just something that should be continuing to grow. I mean, 
are uh, and and you were mentioned earlier too. There's new folks moving into into the area, and uh, so I would imagine you can spend a lot of time answering questions. You've had a blog. You've had your cookbook. Uh, of ex- of helping them bridge the gap between that demand. I'm wondering if you, as you look down the road from how you see it, um, how does how does it feel to you? I mean, is this, does this feel like you're on a you're on a track and what you're talking about and how they're preparing foods and everything? Is this something that just it just feels like it's going to continue to snowball? I hope so. I hope it does. I, I'm really passionate about encouraging people to, um, Barry kind of says it really good about, we want to help people take back their kitchen. And I am passionate about, I feel like in the past more than two years, but especially the last two years, we've gotten almost isolated and we have, we're missing connection with people, with, with people who are um, close to us or not so close to us, we're missing connection. And I want to encourage people that it doesn't take much effort to connect with people. And food is a great connector. Food is what can bring everybody together. Um, and, and so I'm really passionate about teaching people and encouraging them to use what they have. Um, it doesn't take a lot of crazy specialized ingredients and it doesn't take a lot of time to um, love people well through food and to bring people to your table and um, sit around a table and connect with people. And so I hope that that snowballs. I hope that people will be encouraged and that they will try one new thing and invite one new person to their dinner table. And then because that goes well, they'll do one more new thing and invite one more person. And I hope it snowballs. I hope that people um, start to see food in a new way and that you can do food really well and it can be um, really delicious and nutritious and it doesn't have to come uh, in a bag through your car window. Well, you know what? Yeah, and that, and I think that sounds that sounds great too. And and also, I'm wondering though, Allison, do you run into people that say, "Well, I hear I should be cutting back on my meat consumption and maybe supporting meatless Mondays and so forth." Do you have occasion to say, "Well, you can do what you want, but th- th- not all meat is raised the same way, and here's how we do it." Can you can you turn conversations that way? Yes, yes, we talk about that a lot. Um, I have written several blogs about that because I am um, I'm also passionate about nutrition and you know when you look at the I'm sure you're familiar with the term blue zones um, across the world when you those are uh, pockets of populations around the world where people are living very long and very healthy lives and so what what do these people have in common well they have connection uh, they have uh, really good um, movement. They're uh, not necessarily running six miles a day, but they are uh, consistently moving. They're active in some way and they're eating, um, they're eating foods 
that are very rich in omega-3s and very low in omega-6s. Here in America, we are very high in omega-6s and low in omega-3s. And what is that? Well, omega-6s have been found to be very inflammatory in nature and omega-3s are anti-inflammatory in nature. And um, what, what products are inflammatory in nature? Basically anything that you get out of a package, what's non-inflammatory in nature, those meat products that are, um, the animals have been raised on pasture, they're grass fed, grass finished. And um, so you can eat meat that's nutritious, that is non-inflammatory, that is very lean. Our, you know, grass fed, grass finished beef is incredibly lean. And we are um, about the only people around doing a clean pastured pork product and, um, and our, uh, chicken, we are, we're the only people around doing a USDA inspected, um, pastured poultry product, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, pastured eggs. Those are, you know, really, really, really high in omega threes. And so I have, um, several articles, uh, on our blog about, um, about, what's the difference between um, what we raise? And Barry has some articles too, some blogs too, about what what's the difference between grass-fed, grass-finished versus... Well, just trying, going back to sort of what she was saying about the people that don't know how to cook a whole chicken, you know, they don't know all the terms. They don't know free range. They don't know yeah. all that. They don't know all those. So I've, I've tried our a blog post or two to explain to those customers that are interested. Okay. Here's what these terms mean. Here's what the USDA says they mean. Here's what they mean to us. Here's what it looks like in, in practice. So it's confusing. It is. I mean, if your job is, uh, you know, if you're a school teacher or you, again, you work at the bank or you're an engineer or um, you know, you're the UPS driver, it's not your job to know what all the, mean and so it's our job to teach you what they mean and to help you understand and to help you understand why you need to understand well you know what one thing struck me when i was uh, looking through uh, actually the um, a forward in your in your book was by dolly parton and, yes, and, and she's just great. And she loves you both. And she, you know, says good things about how you're raising, uh, raising your products and the, and the farm and the cookbook and, and, and everything. But, you know, that's where maybe you can call on your, your famous friends to, to keep doing like Dolly did for you for the book of, of getting out there and, and reminding people that they can enjoy meat and they should pay attention to how it's produced. And, uh, you know, I would, I think, you know, Barry, as you uh, pack up that bass guitar and head back to Nashville, uh, uh, be sure to twist a few arms. Um, I, I was conjuring up an image of being in the green room or wherever you're getting ready to go do a get out on a stage somewhere in a performance. And they probably got food in there for you to snack on before and after you're, you're doing your performance. Uh, do you find opportunities to... Uh, do uh, do some promotion among your your kind of famous friends um, to remind them to step up and enjoy it, but also speak up a little too. 
Well, yeah, um, and and they, you know, a lot of a lot of them do buy from us, you know, and uh, they know how passionate we are about it. And I have definitely educated a lot of them on it. And you know, there's there's starting to be a a pretty legitimate handful of uh, and and you know, I need to talk to the powers that be in our camp about this. But you know, there's there's a legitimate handful of of name touring acts out there that. It's in their contract that, you know, after sound check before the show, when everybody comes to catering to eat supper, uh, all the meat has to be locally sourced. You know, think about that because we're going to wrap up our podcast here pretty soon. But um, but have them come back and join me. I'd like to talk to them about that because the more we can draw attention to people that are, you know, able to um, to research this and have strong feelings and, and frankly, have some following that people pay attention to. You know, when you get like Dolly Parton saying these things, um, I think it helps get get the word out. And I think that one more word out, you know, Barry, I'm thinking about you heading back to Nashville or getting on the road again. Um, I'll, I'll bet a time or two people said, you know, Barry, you're living the good life. Um, yeah. And people, uh, people thinking that, you know, if I can be a celebrity and I can be a big name in Nashville and, uh, and so forth. Um, but those folks, once they achieve it, they're looking at Allison and Barry and saying, damn, I just wish I could be living on a farm and doing those things and get outside. And when things are, are wearing me down, go climb on a tractor. I have people text me about that pretty rare. I had one guy that I know from the music world texted me yesterday asking, about how farming and touring works for me. He's wanting to buy some land, get into it. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's something on people's minds for sure. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people who've been there all along that they just haven't made quite enough money farming. And, yeah. you know, they often are forced to do it the other way around. And that is go get a job in town. Uh, you're talking about potential people looking at the other way around and they've maybe done pretty well in whatever their career is. They might be a musician or the physical therapist, you know, and then they can add farming to it. But those that have been trying to make a living on farming right along have uh, oftentimes been forced to go get extra jobs and uh, uh, outside the farm because they just haven't made quite enough. And right. that's. That's where you you marketing your products and and getting people to enjoy the products and and probably get a little a little more for it than people might pay for at a supermarket. Yeah, but, but they know what they're doing, and that's that's part of the whole story. Yeah, and we've just to touch on this. That's that's there again going back to what Allison said about education. You know, uh, what you said is is definitely the norm here. Like. If you've got a hundred acre farm here in Greene County, that's a big farm. And so it's 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 the norm for people to have town jobs and farm in the evenings and on the side. And a few years ago, uh, I'm part of a local, uh, we've got a grazing group that uh, we hold field days. And like we've had uh, Gabe Brown come in and talk and Ray Archuleta and a lot of those guys and and trying to educate our fellow farmers about, okay, maybe, you know, maybe the, the way it's always been, you know, I, I, I can say this cause I am one farmers are the most resistant to change of anybody that I know. So a lot of people, despite the fact that they're not making any money, 
they keep doing this, doing it the same way because, well, that's the way my daddy did it. That's the way my granddaddy did it. So we're, we're, we're definitely trying to educate uh, locally on the, on the producer level for sure. And, and I think uh, Allison does a great job with the consumer and, and as you spoke to, we need to educate the country at large for sure. I went to a cattlemen's association meeting, a county cattlemen's association meeting once. And I went up to this guy and he had been around quite a while. And I said, uh, I'll bet you've seen a lot of changes. And he said, yep. And I've been against every one of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that stubbornness. We sometimes, one of those things we love about um, people live in rural communities and, and people live in the dream. Like I think that you guys are living a dream that, that many admire. And I really appreciate the leadership you're providing for others to say, this, this is a way you could do it. And, yep. and you're, you're making it work right down to having your own CEO taking care of eggs. And so all of that's good. I want to wrap up and I, I want to uh, ask you if people would like to get information on everything from the cookbook to the meat that you have available. Cause I see you can ship now other than just locally. So tell us how they can get, get on both of those, whether they're looking for a, a cookbook or they're looking for meat, how did they do it? They just need to um, visit the website and our website is Bells Farms. So B-A-L-E-S-F-A-R-M-S-T-N, like the state of Tennessee.com. So Bells Farms Yeah. And uh, and if they tried to get to your neck of the woods, you're clear over right up against North Carolina. Uh, we are. I'm sitting here looking over the top of the uh, the iPad, looking at at the, the Smoky Mountains and North Carolina is just on the other side. Yeah. 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 Well, I, 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 we're an hour from Knoxville, hour from Bristol, hour from Asheville, North Carolina. Well, I'll tell you what, I'd like to come by and say hi sometime. Uh, uh, Anytime. <laughs> hey, listen, thanks. Thanks so much. And we talking to Barry and Allison Bales. Thanks for being on Farm to Table Talk. Thanks Thank for having you. us. We've Thank enjoyed you. it. It's been fun.